recorded live. Make this the past You can make the dust, you can make the dust and raise up an army. Bring back today and just prophesy to the wind. Now, remember God saying something to me the one time when I was in the wind and I was driving home from service one night. He asked me, he said, Can these bones live again? I said, Oh, God, only you know. And I said, What? And he asked me again, I said, Well, only you know. He said, Prophesy to the wind. Okay? And then prophecy people prophesy to the wind because then. The bones came together. They began to come together, and then, and then the sinew came, and then the muscles came, and then the flesh came, and he said, speak to the wind. The wind, the people spoke to the wind, and the wind came and filled the lungs of the, the, the army, the mighty army that rose up out of the dust of the earth. God just breathed life into new bones. And I see that with all my heart. I've been holding on to that for years. I've spoke that. It's been about um, 10, 11 years now. So I'm just grateful to God, and I have an expectation. I have an expectation that what God said, he will bring to pass. Amen. If you have your Bible, let's just know that I'm prepared to make our declaration on this point. If I receive this word with my mind only, this word will be dead for me. Lord, I don't need, I'm sorry, but if I receive this word with the spirit over my mind, this word will be life for me. Lord, I don't need religious form or fashion. I need life. Now look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, let's get some life in here on today. Praise God that you take the seat. Hallelujah. This morning, I want to thank you all for being here on this morning. It is a joy and a pleasure to stand before you like another Sunday and just be used of the Lord to speak into his people. That song is so, so hot. That song is so hot. We may have to hear some of that again. That song was so hot. I was praying yesterday, and as I was praying, I got the word, contend for the faith, fight for the faith. And so today, I want to talk to you from the subject matter of call to arms, contend for the faith. And that is coming out of Jude, verses 1 through 7. That's the book right next to the book of Revelation, Jude chapter 1, I'm sorry, Jude verses 1 through 7, because there is only one Jude. I mean, Jude is only one chapter, if you want, if, you, if you're familiar with the word. Okay. Jude verses 1 through 7. If you don't have that, don't have to say, I have it way up. You don't have to say, I, I wait up. That's right after, right before the book of Revelation, which is the last book in your New Testament Bible. You have to say, I have it. You don't have to say, wait up. Jude, J U D E, Judas, praise. 
Got it? Amen. Verses 1 through 7. Jude, a brother, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, and brother James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. You know, I there's one so the hitch in the kitchen of you, you know what I mean? The, you, the, you know, he starts out talking about uh, their common salvation, but then something happened, and he shifted his focus, and he said, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the faith. Wow, don't miss that. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago, what is it, who long ago, What does it say? Who long ago were marked out of this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> I love this. But I want you to I want to remind you, though once you knew this, that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterwards destroyed those who did not what? Believe. I mean, angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he what? We have reserved in everlasting chain until under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to thee, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. God, I have your way in this place on today. I ask now that you will speak by your Holy Spirit through your servant, that the word of God may come forth as it's intended to come forth. I am nothing, it can be nothing alone, some separate apart from you. I am a vessel, Lord God, that is empty without the presence of the Holy Spirit, without the presence of my Jesus Christ, and without your presence, the people. I decrease because I am nothing, in order that you may increase because you are heavy. I bless you now, but I thank you for speaking by your Spirit. Amen. Events of our day should cause us to reminisce of biblical days when Christians endured unrelenting because of their faith. Men and women were arrested and thrown into prison and murdered. Many were forced into arenas where they were murdered for sport and then eaten and or eaten by wild animals for entertainment. 
Nero, the fourth emperor of Rome, the first being Octavian, the second being Caligula, the fourth and third being, um, that's so Caligula, anyway, and he was the fourth. And the sad thing is, he grew from, for 14 years, from A.D. 54 to his, his suicide in A.D. 68. He was a wicked man. I mean, a wicked man indeed. In A.D. 64, Rome was set ablaze, resulting in a large fire in the city that was being, and a large portion of the city was burned down. And then, knowing that the people suspected him as the cause of the fire, in order to escape their gaze, he blamed the Christians for having caused the disaster. He blamed them for setting fire in Rome. Many of the Christians were tried and convicted and tortured to death. They didn't have anybody because they did not they, they didn't have the right people because Nero set the fire. It is believed that both Peter and Paul died in this persecution. Many Christians were persecuted because they refused to worship anyone but Christ. They weren't breaking any laws. They weren't talking evil of this emperor. They weren't doing anything bad, but because the people wanted them to worship the emperor like they worshiped the emperor, the Jews and the Christians said, no, we can't do it. We're not going to do that. Kind of reminds you of the three Hebrew boys, right? Condemn, state, and that. Not going to bow down, not going to worship. Don't keep time to think about it. Just not going to do it. You know, you can kill me if you want to, but you know what? That's, that's fine because God is God, and I will worship no other God but God. They stood their ground. But regardless of the efforts of idolaters and emperor worships, the worshipers, the forced Christians to worship things for people, the, the Christians consistently objected to worship them and did not worship them. And I wonder today, thank you, Holy Spirit, I wonder today, people knowing that we are Christians, I wonder if the pressure of people to get us to do something that they want us to do will force or will cause us to compromise our faith in Jesus Christ. I wonder. I, I literally wonder. I'm sitting in front of a professor. He's telling me all kinds of things about about the Bible, it was, it's false. It's just a bunch of stuff. There is no real God. I wonder if I'm going to say I'm going to turn and walk away from my faith because I can't prove by going to the Bible that what he is saying or she is saying is a lie. I wonder if my faith will be so challenged that I will walk away from God. I wonder. That is, that's I wonder. Today I fear that the church is in grave danger from groups like Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Boko Haram, the LGBT, homegrown gangs, ISIS sympathizers here in America, and other extremist groups. Christians are being slaughtered in the Middle East and right here in America. We, we need to look no further than Charleston, South Carolina, and the Supreme Court's decision to rule unconstitutional the Defense of Marriage Act, DOMA which defined marriage and spouse as follows. The Congress said in determining, Congress says in determining the meaning of any act of Congress or of any ruling regulation or interpretation of the various administrative bureaus and agencies of 
ex-husband and wife. And the word spouse refers only to a person of the opposite sex, which is a husband or a wife. This is section three of the definition of marriage, amendment to chapter one of Title One of the United States Code. Now, prior to this language, I read Congress added section 1738C. We went before there was only B, 1738B. And then 38C under chapter 115 of Title 28 of the United States Code, Congress states no state, territory, or possession of the United States or Indian tribes shall be required to give effort to any public act, record, or judicial proceeding of any other state's territory, possession, or tribe respecting a relationship between persons of the same sex. That is, retreated as a marriage under the laws of such other state territory, possession, or tribe, or a right or claim arising for such relationship. President pushed for, many people pushed for the turning away or the ruling uh, as unconstitutional the Defense of Marriage Act. They pushed for it and they got it. The Supreme Court, in response to the petition uh, on the constitutionality of DOMA, ruled on the 26th of June, two years ago, 2013, that the federal statute is again valid. And so that killed it right there. Look how strategic the enemy is in coming after what God has established and by his own will and by his own purpose and by his own determination. Look at it. So that's the first step. Now that they've gotten rid of Doma, they, they, they take the next step. Some may see the, see the massacre in Charleston as a racial act and the Supreme Court's decision of on Doma and same-sex folks as mere human depravity, but there are deeper spiritual implications. The church is also under attack as evidenced by recent church burnings in, in Greenville, in, in Greenville, South Carolina, in Charlotte, North Carolina, in Knoxville, Tennessee, in Humboldt, Tennessee, in Macon, Georgia, Warrenville, South Carolina, and Tallahassee, Florida, all during the month of June, with the exception of one. All after the shooting and, uh, at uh, Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. The church is also under attack from within. According to an article written by Dr. Richard J. Crater in, in, in his In Today's Eye, Into Thy Word, from JP, he did a survey from 1989 to 2006 where he surveyed 1,500 pastors, and, and these pastors, 1,500 pastors, he says 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month. Every month. 1,500 pastors leave due to moral failure. Either they're having an affair with somebody, they're committing adultery. These are pastors. Or spiritual burnout. Or contention in their church. In other words, Everybody wants to tell the pastor what to do. They want to rule the pastor, and everybody that wants to tell the pastor what to do, in other words, they want to take the place of God. That's what it is. <laughs> he says, of the 1,050 pastors, his organization surveys 412 or 52% of pastors stated that the number one reason 
was organizational and control issues. A conflict arose that forced them out based on who was going to lead and manage not only the church but the pastor, elders, key laypersons, faction, while 190 or 24% stated that the number one reason was their church was already in such a significant degree of conflict. You know, just, they hired the pastor to come in, but he, they wouldn't listen to him. They couldn't get, couldn't get anything done because they because it was their church. It wasn't God's church. It wasn't Christ's church. It was their church, their mama's church, their great-grandmama's church, their daddy's church. It's like their family church. They've been there for ages. No one has nobody coming here telling us how we will run our church. Well, newsflash. It ain't your church. Never have been your church. And because you're acting like you're acting, the question is, are you really the church? Because every person is a member of the church. In other words, you are one body within the church. The church isn't the building. The church are the people. It's the people. And it's not just, we're not one church. We're not just church. And then this church on the corner is a separate church. We, when, we, when we're combined, when we're taken in aggregate, we are the one church, the universal church, the Catholic church, the world church of Jesus Christ. There is no other church. There are many members, but the same body. One Lord, but the same body. One spirit, but the same body. Many members, but the same body. There is but one church. It is the church of Jesus Christ. It's not my church. It's not his church or her church or your church. It is the church of God. It is the church of Christ. Lord have mercy. We have got to have order. We have got to have order. We have to know who we are. We have to know who we are. We have to know that if we're in a position of leadership, then by the grace of God, we didn't put ourselves there. If we did, then we're in trouble. That's why the church is in trouble. While 190 stated that the number one reason this church was already was in significant degree of conflict, the pastor's approach could not resolve it. Over 80% of pastors stated this as number two, if not already as number one. And for the rest, it was three. And that is 119 or 14% stated that the number one reason to be that the church was resistant to their leadership, resistant to vision, resistant to teaching or to change, and that their leadership was too strong or too fast. They wanted to control things. They wanted to hold the pastor back when, the, when God was trying to move the pastor forward. When the church belongs to God, you've got to trust God, and you've got to do what he tells you to do. But if the people won't let you do it, he'll put you someplace and give you people that will do it. You won't have to worry about nothing because the people will be there and they will do it. And I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there is no seats right here right now. I know it. And I thank God for it. But when they come, 
when they, when they, when they, when you look out there, and all of a sudden you start seeing one, and then two, and then three, and then five, and then ten, and then you're gonna say, I didn't see that, but I know that I see that. I don't have to wonder. I know it. That's why I say when we come in and we set up, let's make sure we have, if we don't, I just order some more envelopes. Let's make sure we have 20 envelopes in each basket. Let's make sure we have at least 20 uh, business cards in each basket. Because I believe, like Bishop Ward used to say, if you're going to follow me, you got to be ready. you got to have a great expectation. You can't wait. You can't do little silly stuff and follow me. You've got to think big. That's you got to think big. When Christ came into the world, he was just one person. Nobody thought that today there would be literally billions of people following him. Literally billions. See, a, a plant, a seed is planted, and once that seed is planted, if that ground is cared for, that seed is going to grow. And as that seed grows, it's going to reproduce after itself. That seed has to die in order to produce. And when it does produce, you get something to eat. You get you like that going on something. You stop your work. Give me some butter. Give me some. Give me some, some garlic. Give me some. Give me some black pepper. A little salt. Yeah. My goodness. That's where it comes from. It's the seed you plant and it grows. It takes time. Uh, Lord have mercy. Thank you, Jesus. When Jude wrote this letter, it was to warn his readers that the apostates were already on the sea. Apostasy alludes to the end times when Christ's return is near. There is the coming of a catastrophic revolt against the authority of God, which is which is apocalyptic, or in other words, the word apocalyptic is catastrophic. Listen, so look at what's happening around us now. I've already enumerated them now, Kaida, Isis, Okaran, uh, Supreme Court decisions. You know, when, when three or four or five justices take it within their authority to rule against the word of God, you've got a problem. You think that they're smart, you think that they're they have this, this brilliant legal acumen of a mind, but what you find out is they are so liberal and so disregarding of God that they think that they've got it going on. They make the decisions and that's what stands. Well, they are going to have to give an account of it. When, President, when Vice President Biden stood up and said, I'm for saying such and such, and then right after that, President Obama said, yeah, and I'm for saying such and such. And, you know, you've got to understand something. That leadership cannot do this because when leadership does this, it just opens the floodgates for everybody to do what they want to do. And please don't make it. Don't get this, take this the wrong way. I love everyone. I don't care what you've done. God loves me regardless of what I've done. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about living according to the word of God, walking according to the word of God, obeying the word of God. That's what we're talking about. And when you do something like that, and see, when the Supreme Court made that decision, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm on it, but I'm on it. When the Supreme Court does that, it, what the Supreme Court says is that every church, whether they want, whether they say it out verbally or not, is now required to, to perform same-sex union. 
I won't call it marriage because marriage is defined by God, not by men. The Word of God contains everything we need to know about marriage when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to men and women. It is not twisted, but the word, but the words of men are, are driven by the times they live in. But God's word is driven by the Spirit of God. It is ever. To yesterday, today, and forever, it is the same. It does not change. Heaven and earth will pass away. But God says, my word will not pass away. Why? Because there is no end to God. And as long as God is alive, as long as God exists, and as long as his word exists, there will be no change. No change whatsoever. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you do. You touch this word and you cause harm to yourself. A Bible language can be found in Isaiah chapters 24 through 27, chapter 56 through 66, the book of Joel, and also Zechariah chapters 9 through 14. In these passages, the, the eschatological future or the end time or the coming of the end time is viewed in terms of direct divine intervention. That is a universal judgment. God's going to move on the nations and a new age of salvation in which the world will be radically transformed. We've got to change not only a generation, we've got to change not only a community, we've got to change the world. And we're going to do that through the word of God. We can't be nanny-pounded, we can't be whipping, we can't be stirred, we can't be scared, we can't be fearful. We have to be bold. We have to walk in the boldness of Christ. When Christ was on the earth, he didn't bow down to any man. He didn't run. He didn't change his word. I don't think that God really meant that, but I think God meant this. No. He stood flat-footed and he declared, thus says God. It is the word. That's it. Listen, there are too many cults out here. Too many. Talking about Jesus was created. Talking about Jesus didn't really exist. Talking about there is no there is no Holy Spirit. The Bible doesn't teach on the Holy Spirit. It doesn't teach on 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 on, on Jesus. Uh, you know, it's listen, it's dumb. Because of all that's happening, we are drawing closer to the time of Jesus' return. Jude understood this, which is why he wrote to exhort the church. In the Greek, the language, the word exhort was used to describe a general giving orders to the army. Hence, the atmosphere of this letter is military. Jews have started to write a quote, a quite devotional letter about salvation. Remember that ship I told you about. But then, but the Spirit led him to put down his heart. And then he began to sound the clarion trumpet. Sound the trumpet. Blow the trumpet, he said. The epistle of Jews is God's call to arms. We can't sit by idly anymore and just let things happen. There's a call to arms. When, when, when there is a call to arms, there is a clear danger of harm to the citizens of a town or nation or church or the church of God. In our text, Jews is calling Christians to arm themselves because there is a clear and present danger to the church of Jesus Christ. When there is a call to arms, 
three things must be present. There must be an army. Otherwise, you can't call anybody to arm if you don't have an army. There must be an enemy. How could you fight an enemy unless you have an army to fight that enemy? And then there is the victory. How can you have victory over the enemy if you don't have an army? If you have an army, an army you have to have an expectation that you will overcome and defeat the enemy. The Holy Spirit, God, Jesus Christ, has already defeated Satan. But he is still running rampant in the earth. He's going to deceive and confuse and frustrate as many as he can and cause them to stumble and fall and die in their sins and lose eternal life or miss out on eternal life. So let's take a look at the army. Jude, verses 1 and 2. Jude, the bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. He says, mercy, peace, love be multiplied to you. When I think about the army, the first thing that I think about, because it says a common salvation, everybody can't be in the army of Christ. They won't be. Not that they can't be, but they won't be. Let me just rephrase that. Because they don't believe, but they have other things on their mind. They got other things they want to do. They don't want to hear that mess. They don't want to hear any of that garbage. They know what's best for them, and they're going to do what they want to do. The chief criteria for being a member of Christ's army is that you must be servants of Jesus Christ. In order to be servants, you must believe in him. Everyone, you, if, you don't, if you don't believe in your leader, you're not going to follow him. No matter, no matter what anybody says, until you, you stay talking to them, blue in the face, if you don't believe in your leader, you're not going to follow him. Everyone then who is in the army of Christ will have this salvation in common. Salvation begins in the heart of God and not in the will of people. Romans 9 and 16 says, so then it is not of him, meaning you and I, who will, nor him, being you and I, who run, but of God who shows mercy. Salvation begins with God's mercy. Therefore, it begins within God himself. God makes the way, prepares the way for us to have salvation. The mysteries, Lord have mercy, the mysteries of God's sovereign electing grace are beyond our understanding. And this life will understand better after we've entered into his glorious presence. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. This is Deuteronomy 29, 29. Salvation, therefore, involves the Holy Trinity. With the army, when you think about the army, there are those that are sanctified, that are set apart for the work of God. So the same God who chose us also set us apart by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that something we're talking about in Bible study? The Holy Spirit. And then called us by the gospel to trust in Christ. See, the Holy Spirit prepared me to move on. The setting apart is called the sanctification, and the call to us by the gospel to trust in Christ occurred by the work of the Holy Spirit, and this is called regeneration. Because until the Spirit of God touches our heart and prepares us in the mind to be able to hear, we will continue to live life whatever however way we want to. I'm saying, and I said, forget you. 
Who do you think you are telling me how to live my life, telling me that if I don't have Jesus, I'm going to hell? Who is this Jesus? I don't want to hear nothing about this Jesus. Really? God's choosing and God's calling together. For God, for the God who ordains to the, the end or our salvation, also ordains the means to the end, which is someone calling us to Christ. We did not understand how God's Spirit was working in our lives prior to our conversion. But he was working just the same to set us apart for Jesus Christ. Because you have been set apart for God, you must not be so concerned with the affairs of this world that you become ineffective for the one who called you to serve. That's what 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says. And then the army is preserved. And then an army has to be sustained or kept. You know, if you've been in the military, if you've watched shows, you've heard where an army, if you have to sustain an army on its stomach, an army travels on its stomach, you've got to feed the army, you've got to care for the army in order for it to be effective. And so God carefully watches and guards those who are here. Every one of us of you, if we are truly belong to Christ, are members of Christ's army. The believer is secure in Jesus Christ. The same word is used in Jude 6 and 13, which is reserved or kept or preserved, and also in Jude 21. Keep yourselves in order to preserve yourself, protect yourself, cover yourself, keep yourself. God is preserving the fallen angels and the apostates for judgment, but he is persevering. He's preserving his own children for what? For glory. Therefore, he is able to, to preserve us in our daily walk and keep us from stumbling. Because Christians are set apart and preserved, God's soldiers are beneficiaries of God's best blessing. Now, you may ask, what are God's best blessings? Along, aside from Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love. Like the Apostle Peter, Jude wanted these special blessings to be multiplied in the believer's life. It is important for your, for your pastors and for leaders, Christian leaders, to, to speak blessings into the lives of those that God has made him by the Holy Spirit, has made him or overseers of. In 1 Peter 1 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit of, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ Jesus Christ. He says, grace to you and peace be multiplied. 2 Peter 1 and 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's what Peter says. You see, God in his mercy doesn't give us what we deserve. Truly he doesn't. And truly I'm grateful because I would not be here right now if he gave me what I deserve. I'd have been gone a long time ago. Some people say a while ago. I've been gone. Lord have mercy. Instead, he gave our punishment to who? Who does God give our punishment to? Jesus. Gave it to him how? On the cross. Jesus suffered 
is our place on the cross. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrow. He was wounded for what? Our transgressions. He was bruised for what? Our iniquity. And by his stripes, what? We were healed, right? Amen. Not only that, but if you were in the army of God, you have peace. Isn't that what he says? Isn't that what he said up here? He says what? Let me just go back here. He says, what did he say to you?
man or a woman, you've got to trust him. Whether you're a boy or a girl, you've got to trust God that God will give you the person that he has prepared for you before the foundation of the world. But if you rush ahead like Abraham, and you come up with an Ishmael, and Ishmael has been giving hell over that in, 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 over the Middle East, turn from that very moment on. War against Abraham, the promised seed. And that, that's spilling over into this nation and every nation on this earth. That's hell. Because Abraham went ahead of God. Ishmael wasn't the promise. He did not see the promise. God's love is demonstrated on the cross, Romans 5 8, but God demonstrated on his love, his own love toward us, is that while we were yet what? Christ did what? Died for us. Apostates are those who have abandoned the teachings of Christ for the things of the world. These are not true believers because they have abandoned their salvation. He is a person who has professed to accept the truth and trust the Savior and then turns from God, turns from the faith which was once delivered unto them. This is what Jude 3 says. John, the beloved, says it this way in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. Little children, it is the last time. It is the last time, and as she have heard, is the Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists. Little bit easy. They're just eating away, chipping away at the church back. They're just doing it. Once. And they're a little bit like it. No. They're like, hey, you did God is good to say that, did he? Oh, you, you can really keep God know that the moment that you do this, uh, your eyes will be open and you become like him. He didn't really mean that you died. I mean, has anybody ever died? What does the word die mean anyway? I mean, so what, what is he talking about? He, he just don't want you to. He just don't want you to enjoy himself. He don't want you to enjoy life. He just wants you to just go and do what you want. He don't want you to know that there's more to life than just serving him. And then before you know it, you go, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. There is more to life than serving God. But what you fail to realize is that in John Romans 10 and 10 says what? What is it? Acts, what is it? 10, 10, 8, and B, the thief comes, Acts, I'm sorry, 10, 10, with Acts, right? Chapter 10, verse 10. John 10, 10, I'm sorry, John 10, 10, B. There's A and B. The thief comes, but to steal, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I, Jesus, said, have come that you might have what? Life and have it more what? Abundance. See, only in Christianity do you have true abundance in life. You only can you, in Christianity, can you truly live a full and healthy life, an abundant life. You can produce, you can do things, you can, you can accomplish much abundant things. Those who are in the world will accomplish some things, but they will always fall short. Always fall short. Because they don't have Christ and they're not serving him. So all of their wealth and all of the stuff that they gather, they are wicked, so it's just laid up for us. It's laid up for the righteous. Doesn't matter who you doesn't matter who it is. It could be Donald Trump. 
It could be, I don't know, was the guy's name that owned Microsoft, the third Microsoft? Could be him. Won't give anything to the church. Won't give anything to the church. He thinks that starting a foundation over in Africa, you know, and doing all that, that I've earned him some point. Listen, you will never, I don't care how much work you do, you will never earn eternal life. Why? Because eternal life is a free gift. You can stand before God and say, God, I did this, and I did that, and Jesus will look at it and say, get away from me. I never do you. You rejected me. That's why you are that's why you are an infidel. That's why you're going to hell, because you rejected me. You can't go out there and do your own thing and do it however you want to do it and then pat yourself on the back and be praised by people and think that I'm gonna I'm gonna fall into that trap. No. I'm the creator. I make the rules. I tell you what to do. And if you reject me, I reject you. It's just that simple. There's no in-between. No in-between with God. You either is or you either ain't. You either are or you are not. Simple as that. That's a five John says it this way. I, I, I read that already. But let me just read it again. Little children, it is the last time as she have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many, those little nitty-nitty, like the story five, whereby we know that it is the last time. We are, I know Paul thought he, he was living in the last time. Moses and, or not Moses, but uh, Peter and Paul and John and all those guys, even those that have come after the Polycarp and, 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 and uh, St. Augustine and all, and were Augustine of Hippo, and all of these others thought that that was the end time, but we are closing in on the end time when Jesus gets soon to return. And when he does, you will know it. They went out, this is how you tell, this is how you tell the apostates from the real Christians. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Well, if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. There was no doubt that continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. See, at some point, the pretense is going to go away, and the real you is going to stand up and be counted. You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is pray and bless and watch God clear out the mess. That's all you got to do. Pray and bless and watch God destroy the mess. And that's what these people did. They, 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 they sat there and they shouted out, you just praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. Oh, I just thank you. And they're the ones that cry out, jumping all over the place. Not everybody that does that, but they're those that make a scene and want to be seen. And they fall out, oh, and they do all those things, and they're just as big a sinner as nobody has saved himself. They just pretend. You will know the Spirit by the Spirit. First John chapter 4, verse 4. Go there real quick. We'll start at we'll first John chapter four, verse one. We'll start there. Beloved, do not deceive every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By thus, by this you know 
Now he said, no, I'm going to stand for Christ whatever it costs. I'm a soldier. I'm standing and I'm serving God. I don't care the opposition. I don't care what people say. I don't care what people think. People may treat me. People may kill me. I don't care. But you know what? Am I, am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause? Am I going to be afraid to serve Christ and continue the work that Christ began on this earth, the one that he's called me to, or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on the day of the Eve? No. No, I'm going to work. I'm going to suffer if I have to suffer. But I'm not going to just be walking, just, just tramping along through life saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but I can't do anything more than say, I'm a Christian. No, not on the flowery bed of Eden. No, uh-uh. you're going to foster something to be a Christian. Where while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas, many have died. You have not resisted the blood yet. I have not resisted the blood yet. In other words, I have not resisted to the death, my death. I feel that walking around, living and breathing. So I'm going to do what I can. So am I going to sin against those things that are contrary to the word of God? Yes. Am I going to marry somebody because the law says so? No. Am I going to compromise the word of God in order to, to keep the church? No. Because I am the church. You are the church. You are the church. You are the church. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I stand for Christ, but I don't stand at all. You stand for Christ, but you don't stand at all. This is a call to arms. You have to contend for your faith. You have to fight for your faith. You have to stand strong for your faith. You have to suffer adversity for your faith. You must not give up. You must stay the course. That's who you are. That's who you call to be. Jesus got up on the third day. That's how he encouraged you. He said, he stayed around for 40 days. More than 500 people saw him die. He ascended into heaven while they watched him go up. He said, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Will I find you working? Will I find you faithful? Will I find you doing the will of the Father? I'm coming back. I'm coming back. After hearing this word, there may be one, and you are not more Jesus Christ. God is ready right now to turn your situation around. Send a man, send a woman, send a boy, send a girl. The question is, if God were to call you right now, we'll finish this next week. Can you honestly say that you're ready to go and be with the Lord? If not, if I were you, I'd make that decision today. Secondly, if you're looking for a church home, and the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you to become a part of Jesus Christ's ministry global, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to work. This is the place I want to call home on my way to my heavenly home. Then we welcome you. Thirdly, if you're backslide, you want that joy restored in your life. I'm here to tell you, he will restore the joy. No man will bust about it. He will do it, and he will do it now. Fourthly, if you're away from your church home, you need someone to watch over your soul to teach you the word of God and pray for you. Join Jesus Christ Ministry Global and our watch care program so that we can do just that. So when you finish all your studies here, you can go back to your home church and you can help your pastor fulfill the vision that God has called him or her to. And finally, but certainly not least, prayer. Prayer changes things. Prayer opens up doors that are shut. Right? Prayer.
Thank you. 